Hey everyone, it's Michelle. And Brayden. And this is Spooky Shit. Alright, so this week we're going to be sharing some horror noodles with you all. <laughs> AKA creepypasta. <laughs> yes, we definitely stole this from a meme, but I love it, so we're going with it. <laughs> And we'll just be going back and forth per usual. Warning. This episode may contain graphic details. Listener discretion is advised. All right. Before we get into the nudes, Oles. <laughs> I didn't realize how that would sound. <laughs> nudes, Oles. Oh, my how God. I'm so cool. Oh, that was funny. That was good. Well, I always say the nudes when I'm talking about pasta like to Robert. And I was like, well, if you don't know that I say this, it sounds yeah. like someone's nudes got leaked and we're going to discuss it. <laughs> True. How's life? <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a lot since the last time we talked. Okay, cool. So He was writing a list before and he kept whispering to himself. And I was like, stop it. No spoilers. <laughs> A lot. It was honestly, I guess the most eventful stuff happened in one day, which was yesterday. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, basically, this whole week we've been. I'm part of student council at school. Oh, I didn't know that. It's almost. I mean, it's we're kind of like ASB basically, and we're like mm -hmm. trying to plan events and like decorate the like break room, the student break room, just to like oh. I don't know, just raise morale. Yeah, exactly. Just nice. for it not to be so depressing. So we, like, basically stay after school and, like, work on posters. And, like, we basically planned an event for Friday, yesterday. Yes. For, like, Memorial Day. And also to raise more money for student council to, like, keep doing, like, these types of events. And just, yeah. like, we, we threw a barbecue. Oh, cute. Um, but... Yeah, so basically this whole week we've been, like, stressing low-key, just trying to get everything, like, together. And, yeah, we, like, I woke up early as fuck. Took my sisters to school, went to school, and started, like, setting up right away. Mm -hmm. And they sent me to the store for some last-minute stuff, and we came back and just, like, started, like, literally prepping everything. We just had hot dogs. Yeah. But we also, like, got a bunch, like, bacon-wrapped. Oh, fancy. So, yeah, we break and wrap, like, a shit ton of them and then just had, like, a bunch of regular ones just in case. Yeah. But, yeah, it was, like, pretty hectic at first just trying to get everything <laughs> together. But it was, like, so much fun. Like, I literally Yay! laughed so much. It, it was it was cool. I mean. That's so cool. The, obviously, other students definitely had to, they had to, like, go to class and, like, you know, actually, like, <laughs> do classwork and stuff. Learn. But um, that is. but um, since I'm part of student council, I got away with like being outside all day. Hell yeah! Just but chilling. I'm actually a little like burnt now because I was all outside all day in the sun. You weren't wearing sunscreen. Uh uh. Come on. Well, they told us we would have an easier, but they no lied. one brought it. Yeah, they <laughs> lied, and I Dang. got a little burnt. But yeah, it was so much fun. We did raise some money and. We also like had this thing where we pied our educators. <gasps> and so that. leading up to the event, we basically like they had to like put money in for a vote to pie an educator and whoever like got the most votes were going to get pied and I get only like four educators were on campus yesterday so we pied yeah. all of them. But they were all pretty good sports <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah, we did. 
Um, but they were all really, like really good sports about it, and like it was so much fun. And then that's awesome. We also had like a pinata, and oh, damn, this was like a whole ass fucking party, dude. Dude, it was. It was that's lit. So cool. We had like music going the whole time. We had like I think cornhole, and like Yay. some other like little games. Um, Sounds like a was... little mini carnival. <laughs> it kind of was. It was. It was really fun. What sucked was cleaning, but... <laughs> yeah, I would not want to be part of Student Council when it came to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't mind. Like, I still did it, but... But, yeah, I was, happy like, about it. Well, I was just because I was tired, and, like, you know mm-hmm. how the sun just kind of tires you out? Yes, like, I do, and I can't believe you weren't wearing sunscreen either. I feel I like know. I'd be stressing the entire time. Well, because with me, I get really tanned before I burn. Okay. I'm so thinking right, skin cancer, though, not just uh, You're sunburn. right. My grandma, like, crisping it up in the pool all the time. Now she's like, go get tan. And I'm like, I mean, you've had skin cancer, like, a million times. I'm not going to go get tan. True. Mom, if you're listening, part. get your mom under control. <laughs> 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 um, But, yeah, it was just so much fun. Like, I was actually, before we started recording, I was watching all the, because everyone's, like, sending the videos. Cute. And it's just, lol. <laughs> I did see a video that you reposted on your Instagram the other day, and it was just you, like, messing around at school. <laughs> and I showed Robert, and I was like, this is what he does all day at school. No, <laughs> it was just, like, that you, like, was... playing with stuff. That was, it's because, okay, so. <laughs> explain that. Ex- let me explain myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually am supposed to be on, like, distance learning on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Mm-hmm. But since I'm part of student council, I've been going in on Tuesdays and Thursdays to like basically plan like this event and that day we had i think it was thursday we had um gone in and like basically planned out where we were gonna go and like what we had to buy Mm -hmm. and so we did and we got back and it was like almost time to like clock out or we had like an hour so we started making or i say we but there was really only one person like yeah. doing the posters no no it was it was me okay i was like was it you <laughs> no. so yeah but the vice president of of student council was doing the posters and i was just trying to be helpful so i was holding the paintbrushes in my hand like he was just ones... playing with paintbrushes <laughs> i low-key was but i was like holding them in one hand just because like i don't know but yeah i was just holding all the paintbrushes because she was using different colors it was very so... helpful of him to be doing this <laughs> It was. She was like, here, can you hold this? And then she just kept doing it. And I was like, yeah, I got you. <laughs> You're like Edward Scissorhands with a bunch of paintbrushes. Yeah, that, that's what they said. Or They were like, you look like Wolverine. <laughs> and then, yeah, I was just like chilling. And then one of my other classmates was like, dude, I wonder how many like paintbrushes you can hold. And I was like, I don't know. And then we had a whole box of them. And yeah, he just started like, he was like handing them to me. And we just kept, I just kept adding them to my hand. And then, um, this is very important education, everyone. Very important. You like, have to count, you have to practice counting. We didn't even count, <laughs> you didn't even count, but we never mind. We basically put all the paintbrushes that were in that box into my hand, and I was like, guys, it's cramping. And they were like, no, no, like, even an educator from another class was like in here, like, because she was just checking up on us on student council and was like, 
you know, how are you guys doing? And like, do you guys need anything? Like, need more paintbrushes? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it was funny because she was like, okay, I'm gonna go. And then she's like, wait, no, like, I'm invested in this. And then she started handing me paintbrushes as well. Oh my God. And I was able to like get all of them into my hand, but like, it's like started cramping and i was like oh okay i can't do this no more see it was kind of like exercise that's like pe for uh barbers because you're gonna be holding stuff all day exactly it's gonna be shears or clippers this was extremely important to your education (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's what that was um and then i shared re-shared a clip before that of um my classmate just randomly taking a video of me and I was like, didn't know how to act. And I just started yeah. laughing. You're also just <laughs> sitting there and I was like, what does he do during school? But now <laughs> you, uh, you did not me. have school that day. <laughs> yeah. I was like, trust me. I usually am not that chill. It's usually not that like, we're usually always funny. like working on our doll heads or a client or yeah. we're usually pretty busy, but that Whatever day you tell yourself, <laughs> but <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, that's what I did at barber school yesterday. Just had a lot of fun. <laughs> that sounds so cool. Yeah, it, it was dope. And because I had Alaris go out. Oh, she went like, to the party too? Yeah, she went to the party too. Nice. Since it was like a fundraiser. So I like told her to come and she came. And yeah, everyone was so excited to like meet her. Cause I, just like especially those two that, that I talked to. Yeah. Um, they were your little like, friends. Yeah, they they asked me. They're like, "When's your wife coming?" I'm like, "Oh, she's actually like really close." Like, and they like literally started screaming. They're like, "Oh my god, yay!" And then You're she like, got she's there. Not real. I'm not married. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was funny because we got there, or I mean, like I went to go get her at her car. Yeah. And on our way back, like another classmate was like, "Oh, you're married," and I'm like, "Yeah," <laughs> but I don't really like talk to her like that. Yeah. But yeah, as soon as we like turned the corner and they like saw me, they like ran to her and were like, "Oh my god, you're like Brayden's wife!" And this and that. And she's like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's so cute." And then, what else? Yeah, I I would like to say it was a, it was a great turnout. We had a lot. I had a lot of fun. I hope other students had a lot of fun. Did you raise a lot of money? I wouldn't say a lot, but I think we... <laughs> I was like, there's a long pause there. Maybe not. <laughs> Can't discuss financial. No, I'm just oh, yeah, kidding. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> um, I would say it was a decent amount. It wasn't like cr- crazy. Yeah. But yeah, it was cool. And then I was just like really tired. and But I was like, I can't call out for my last day at Costco. <laughs> no, yeah. How well, was yeah. your last day? It was sad. Who knows? Well, because I guess a lot of people didn't know. God, I don't, well, okay. Like, a lot of people. Know. You put your notice in like a week ago. Yeah. I guess like half of the people knew and half of the people didn't. Like, most of the managers knew and yeah. some supervisors. And then mm-hmm. obviously some of my coworkers that I like told. But it came to as a surprise, basically, to, like, a lot of people. Like, oh, I literally, as soon as I clocked in, one of the supervisors um, basically was like, oh, here, let me see where to put you. But my name wasn't popping up. And I was like, oh, could it be? Because it's my last day. And she was like, Sorry, what? took you off. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, what? Why? And then I, like, told her. And then she was like, damn, that makes sense. And she didn't she even was, know either? What the fuck? Uh-uh. She was like, damn, why do the good ones always go? And I was like, 
Oops. Because <laughs> you know you could do better. <laughs> <laughs> I was Got like, him. damn. But yeah, they almost made me cry because like off, after the store closed, like my coworkers got me little like chocolates and like cookies and stuff like that that's so cute and then yeah it was like time to clock out and we were hanging out by the time clock and the supervisor was like we're gonna ring the cowbell for you because right now you have a cowbell yes oh okay um, literal cowbell like literal cowbell love that um well especially it's like they ring it right now because they're trying to raise money for children's hospital okay and they have like a goal to make like fifty k or something like that. Jeez Louise! They're almost. They already passed forty. So, oh my god, that's sick. Yeah, so they're like doing really well. But <laughs> they're um, getting there. <laughs> they're getting there. But yeah, they ring it every time someone donates it. So we hear it all day, and it's like annoying. But she was like, "We're gonna ring it for you," and she like set it over the walkie and was like, "It's Brayden's last day." And then she like rang the bell, and everyone was Aww. like. Everyone was like, damn. Like, that. everyone was sad, like, to see me go. And then that yeah. made me sad because I'm like, damn, am I doing the right <laughs> thing? But I'm like, yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> you could always go visit them at Costco. That's what I said. Like, I was telling my coworkers because a bunch of them were, like, pretty sad. They're like, damn, dude, like, I'm going to miss you. And I was like, dude, like, honestly, I'm going to miss y'all too. Well, most of you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I, like, told... I told them, you know, I was like, I'll come visit you guys. And then she was like, no, you won't. Everyone says that. And I was like, well, I'm not everyone. <laughs> and so she funny. was like, she was like, you're like, right. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to go. <laughs> right. No, I, I totally like was I was even telling Alaris yesterday. I was like, I totally be down to like stop at that Costco specifically after school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's next year's school anyway. You might as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was a little like bittersweet and. My manager, basically, like, he gave me a hug and everything and was like, you know, you have my number if you need anything. Aww. And he was like, once you, like, are into a shop, he's like, let me know and I'll go, like, basically support you. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm glad that you had such a good goodbye with everyone. I did. I mean, I didn't get to say goodbye to everybody, but. Those yeah. people who were working that shift. Yeah. Nice. Well, Yeah. And then today, supposedly, they wanted to go out for dinner, but I don't know. The Costco people? Yeah. Oh, you should. If we're done in time. Yeah. I don't know how late they're going. It's almost 6 p.m. <laughs> well, that, most of them don't get out till like, 7. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, We'll be close-ish yeah. to done by then. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, so that was, like, kind of bittersweet. I Have think. you done any um, Instacart since then, or...? Just no. chilling for now. Yeah, Alaris is your little sugar mama. She got you. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to start working with her, though. Nice. Um, Probably Monday. Or cool. no, not Monday, because it's Memorial Day. Oh, yeah. Maybe Tuesday. Ooh, Memorial Day. I bet I could get a lot of orders. <laughs> yeah, actually, you might if I they take try. the day off. Or you know what? Maybe even tomorrow. I was thinking tomorrow, but I'm busy lot, all day. Oh, I was going to say, because I feel like some people might do like some last minute Memorial Day sh like shopping. I was thinking the same thing. And I'm so sad because Sunday is supposedly like the busiest day in our area. And every Sunday since I've started, I've like been busy or had another reason I can't do it. Damn. And I'm like, I just want to do it on a Sunday. But um, 
I'm having my niece spend the night, and I don't think she wants to go shopping with me at all these random stores. Yeah, probably not. But maybe, you know, I could check with her. Nothing more fun for an eight-year-old than going to countless grocery stores. <laughs> you know, I loved that as a kid. Did you know? <laughs> yeah, especially, like, when your mom sees someone that they know, and they're, like, just stand there talking for ten minutes, and you just feel like you're going to pass out from standing still so long. True. Oh, I remember that feeling so well. It was the greatest. Love that. <laughs> it's <was> really fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's it for me. At least that I can remember right now. <laughs> for now, for now, S- for now. So, uh, okay. what's going on with you? I did some more Instacart. I've still not done more than one a day, so that's interesting <laughs> of me. But it's cool. I did like a couple this week. I I will. I think I've done like eight orders total now. I don't know how many I had last week, so this really isn't helpful to any of you. <laughs> but it's cool because like I've been accepting small orders because I'm like very slow. I'm not quick at shopping. And uh, it's nice because even if it's like $10, Instacart like adjusts the amount to be like more equal to minimum wage. So you're still like guaranteed minimum wage pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, I could just accept the baby orders. I don't have to do these huge like ridiculous ones. They'll take me hours. So that's nice. I'm enjoying it. And uh, the stream's been like doing very well. We reached a sub goal of 90 subs this month, which is like fucking insane. That's definitely the most we've ever had other than like once before someone bought us like 100. That was several months ago. But I set little sub goals. So like we get a certain point and I do things on stream. Like one I did like, I baked a cake on stream. I don't even think I mentioned that. I baked a cake a few weeks ago on stream. And uh, one of the ones that we reached was for Robert to do my makeup. Oh, did you? Robert to do my makeup, Euphoria style. Very colorful, (laughs) sparkly, over the top. Uh, I would like you to see the picture I sent you. Oh, is that the picture? He did my makeup on stream and I wore it like that for like four hours while I kept streaming. (laughs) It's really good. OMG. <laughs> Damn, Robert. So it's like very thick black winged eyeliner with purple and blue and pink across the eyelid and like kind of on the bottom of the eyelid too. A lot of black under the eye and then glitter like kind of near my eyebrow and underneath the wing. But since it's, it was only his second time ever doing makeup, he didn't get my waterline completely or like close to my lashes on the top so it's like two kind of like white lines in those two areas <laughs> i maybe i'll post a picture on instagram if anyone wants to see let me know you, you have to specifically request this one but uh i feel like he did pretty good for his second time ever yeah, doing makeup. he did oh <laughs> this reminds me of what happened to me at work the other day what happened to you on at work? thursday my uh co-worker walks in and she's like milo because most Oh, yeah, you have uh, your first in the middle. Yeah, and our most Spanish-speaking people, I tell them to call me Milo because it's easier to say than Brayden. Okay. I mean, you could say Braden, but, like, it's just easier to say Milo. Yeah. And so she, like, walked up to me, and she's like, Milo, and she said this in Spanish. She was like, I, like, got to know your wife, and I was all confused. And I was, like, thinking in my head, like, where'd you meet her? Like, how? Yeah. Like, I was all confused, and then I was like, I looked at her all, like, confused, and then she was like, it's because you came up on my, like, Facebook and 
and through there I got to know you more and your wife and I was like okay creeping <laughs> on your Facebook yeah and I was like you didn't and she was like I didn't add you because I didn't want you to be like who's this or like and I was like okay and then she was like and then she just kept going and she was like and I found your YouTube video of the makeup what? challenge and I was like oh no this is a very old video Holy she shit. found a gem that I completely forgot it's it's still online we're still we're all still waiting for you and Alaris's YouTube channel to make it back. <laughs> well I, I gotta change the name everyone yeah you need to change the name to be Brayden in it but I think we're all waiting on this shit but oh my god I like died laughing I was like no way and she was just saying how it was so funny and that like I actually did a good job considering and hey. And she said that it looked like a lot of fun, and I was like, I wouldn't lie, it was, and how she wants to do it with her daughter. Oh. <laughs> I was like, that's <laughs> cool. Thing. But yeah, and I remember, I was like, I told Alaris when I got home, and she was like, oh my god. She was like, why are those videos out there for free right now? <laughs> that was your guys' choice. <laughs> I know, it was our choice, and then we just started laughing because we were like, low-key embarrassed because we like totally forgot about that you know what i mean i remember finding that channel whenever we worked together and it was <laughs> you and alaris trying on each other's clothes and oh it was the God. weirdest shit and i was like i feel i don't even feel comfortable watching this <laughs> <laughs> you're just sitting in the same room as me and i'm like this is so strange <laughs> yeah I, did, I hated that video i love how that person at your uh at your school just like totally admitted to stalking your facebook your youtube and all this stuff not even adding you though oh no i was at work oh at work okay i got you (laughs) but yeah she like totally admitted and then yesterday on my last day she like gave me a hug and was like take care of yourself and she's like i have i have your number you have my number she's like call me she's like i actually live like right by your school and i was like well come visit me yeah (laughs) and she's like i will and then she was like i'm gonna add you on facebook and i was like yeah add me (laughs) she already knows your facebook and everything she could find it pretty easily (laughs) yeah well it's funny because i had told like some other older lady that i was quitting and she was like give me your number or something so we could like so i can harass you because she (laughs) not like like in a mean way literally i hope yeah not literally but she would we would like mess with each other a lot like she would always try to scare me but like i i don't scare easily and yeah she would just come up behind me and just like shove me sometimes like Were you i mean bullied and you're in denial i guess low-key but like she, she comes to- up punches <laughs> me in the face no no not like very physical <laughs> like that like it was very playful and i mean i would okay. shove like we would like I mean, she's older, but like we were like kind of like messing I'm around like you guys siblings. Just fighting full no, no, <laughs> no. I remember I scared her one time, and I do like she'll she'll shove me, and I'll shove her back. Just like very playful. It was, it was yeah. never like she'll come and like fucking trip me or some shit. She stabs you while you're laughing. <laughs> but yeah, I like added her on Facebook, and since nice. I added her, all these other people from Costco like keep popping up, and I'm like, oh, sure, cool. why not? Or that's one way to stay in touch with them, <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah, easy. But yeah, that reminded me because you were talking about her harassing you, and I was thinking about how funny it would be if she was like genuinely stalking you and you just never mentioned it until right now on the podcast. And one of my sisters 
she said that she got a weird note like last month she went and got her mail and there was a handwritten note in the in between the mail like not in an envelope that said like i found you what the fuck she said she wasn't creeped out and she thinks there's just like kids in her neighborhood but like it was in between her mail like someone had gone to her mailbox and put it in there like what the fuck what do you mean you're not creeped out that's creepy i know i found you nah <laughs> i totally forgot to tell you that that's creepy anyway your uh, old coworker found her <laughs> <laughs> maybe i don't know oh you know what i we also forgot to talk about last week is how i finally huh. gave you your christmas presents <gasps> yeah it's so cute they're both avatar the last airbender themed one's like a map of the what's it called just like the, the area nation yeah. the nation yeah the uh nation. and it's like on like a fabric though it's, what's the better way to say fabric i don't know it's very, it's on like cloth there we go it's cloth and it's on a frame i've already hung it up looks nice oh yeah <laughs> and the other one's a cute little mini zen garden that has like appa and uh ang on it too and i was just like carefully raking the little stones <laughs> but then i put them somewhere else because i was gonna put my desk and i was like i would definitely knock this over so i had to put it somewhere that i would not accidentally touch it damn that i got it for you so you can have it at your desk <laughs> you know i'm gonna knock that shit over that's I already true. have my leg up on the desk. Like, I'm just very <laughs> chaotic the way I say it. You're right, you're right. If I didn't yeah. look at it. <laughs> I bet my niece is going to fuck with it tomorrow. <laughs> but I'm going to lose them. No, hide it from her. <laughs> I know, I probably will. I can't trust her. But <laughs> also just talking about it, I love them both. Thank you. Yes, I, you're welcome. I almost messed up because Robert and I, we talk about Aang and we call him the Angatar. <laughs> because his name's Aang and he's Avatar. And I almost dead ass said, Yeah, I had Appa and Angatar in it. And I was like, This is his actual name. <laughs> Angatar. Angatar. That's <laughs> his birth name. He goes by Aang, though. <laughs> he's Aang the Avatar, Angatar. <laughs> I'm dead. But yeah, no, I fucking love it. I'm happy I finally got it. <laughs> Sorry, you it took so long. <laughs> just, like, just like six months, whatever. Who's counting? <laughs> Me, but. <laughs> and i wasn't even here either i don't remember I where i was i think i was like at my sister's or something when he came to drop it off and i was like come on i know well, it oh, just well. happened to be down there well because i knew i was going to be down in san diego and i was like oh shit let me take it with her and on the way back i mean take it with me and on the way back i was like drop it off hell yeah but you happen to be busy that day the one time i'm not at home bro i'm always at home that's mm -hmm. so funny <laughs> Wasn't it like on a Monday too? Yeah, it was on a Monday because my <laughs> mom and them were in town. So I was like driving uh, my mom and sister-in-law to the airport. I see. Now I remember. Yeah. Whatever. I'm glad I got my gift. Maybe I'll see you next year when you drop off my next gift. <laughs> Probably July of next year. You're just going to wait till uh, in a couple of years I move to Amsterdam. And you'll be like, all right, here's your 2022 Christmas present. Just have to Damn. mail it over. <laughs> Sheesh. Sheesh. Just kidding. I would just wait years to get that one. <laughs> but yeah, that's all that I've been up to, I think. Kind of a lot. Well, we've been talking a while, so I think it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a lot, but 
it listening kinda, back, I'm going to be like, that was two whole things. You're like, that's like one thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fine. Whatever. All right. Ready to get into these nudes? <laughs> Holes? <laughs> yeah. All right. This one I got from Reddit. It is titled The Camera by Lighter20. I took the photo at 8.55. I said to the doctor across the table interviewing me. What photo? The doctor pointed towards the table with several images that I recognized. Two detectives were behind her listening to the interview. My hands were shackled to the table and my feet were cuffed together. It took me a good struggle to point to the photograph I was referring to. The fountain. I took that photo at 8.55 p.m. The doctor eased back on her chair and turns towards the officers behind her, possibly talking about the whole ordeal I just went through. Nobody believes me, even I don't believe myself. They mumbled on and on together, the words were just lost in my head. I was thinking of everything that happened, everything that happened in the start. I'm a college student trying for the degree of a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism. I'm in my senior year, the final year of my four-year course. Some say the golden years of being in college are from your freshman years until your junior years, and I agree. My final year here is filled with paperwork and for the school campuses, thesis writing, and other responsibilities that professors tell you are necessary for your departure into the real world. How I miss the booze and the parties. The feeling of invincibility, the feeling of being carefree without a worry in the world, the feeling of genuine youthful happiness. Well, those were all good memories of a few years ago. I still have to edit this script for a commercial advertisement that I and my classmates were trying to finish for a final grade in one of our subjects. You know when you think of being a journalism major all you have to focus on is writing. Even I thought so too. It turns out that here in our college, you get to try to do work for major films, do voiceover for broadcasting majors, and take the majority of your time shifting from doing school work for a film and broadcasting while still being a journalism major student. So this school has some good opportunities. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, what you complaining about? Dude? I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a result of this, I've been very familiar with the equipment they use and how to work with it. The microphone, the sound systems, the editing softwares, the speakers, the lights, and dot, 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 the camera. It was laid out, 8 p.m. to be exact. I stayed in the college library reviewing the script and numerous shots list on the table. I had my laptop in front of me, typing away my comments and possible changes to the sequencing of the video. My mates all went for a smoke outside, and others went out to eat. I stayed behind because I wasn't really feeling hungry or tired. I wasn't alone in the library. A few people hung out there for a quiet read or just to relax. Some people come, some people go. Some people, some people here I recognize, and some are complete strangers. I stretched a little on my seat, trying to rejuvenate my sore joints after sitting for hours. I went on and went back and forth 
the shot list and the script, trying to confirm the matching of scenes to the agreed shot sequences. It was a short ad about mental health awareness. We depicted scenes of everyday normal people going about their life, but in, but is actually experienced some form of mental health issues. Pretty straightforward, I thought. I expect to finish the whole editing of the voiceover script tonight and send my revisions to my mate who will then edit the video. That's when something caught my eye. On the table, the shot lists were laid out and the final panel of the last picture we took was there. Although I don't remember we ever took that picture. I took a look closer and then remembered we did take that shot. Just n that wasn't in the way that I remembered it to be. It was a wide-angle shot of our college fountain in the middle of the school. A big round fountain, 12 feet high, that sprayed out fanciful water streams out of its small openings. We took the shots in the morning, and this picture it seemed to have been taken at night. Furthermore, the streams in this fountain were off. No water was coming out of any of its holes. If I remember correctly, the fountain spray was always working throughout the day, and if it's only ever turned off at 9pm. I checked the time on my watch, 8.30pm. It didn't make any sense to me. I thought about the logical explanations of why this shot was different from the rest. Every other photo was clearly taken in the morning. We planned it to be a one-day shoot. We didn't do any previous shot references on the previous days. Everything was done today. One of my mates comes back, Larry. He's the one who will edit our commercial ad. I rushed towards him and showed him the photo immediately. He hasn't even settled down or sat back on the chair yet. Jesus, Vinny, what's going on? He was obviously surprised at my sudden actions. He took the photo I held towards his face. What am I looking at? One of our shot sequences, I showed the other photos to him, both of us going on back to the table. See anything different, I continued. Larry examined the photos, and soon enough, his eyebrows curled in confusion. Did we by chance have any extra shots before our shoot today? Larry was still studying the images. He glanced up at me and said, no, we, we said we'd do a one-day shoot, so here we are. Did Jessica or Tommy do any shots yesterday or tonight? I shot back immediately. I don't know why I was feeling nervous, almost angry. Was it because of the deadline was approaching so fast? Was it because I didn't want to reshoot? Heck, the actors have already been paid for. We can't squeeze another diamond for them to reshoot. The pressure was clouding my rational thinking, the deadlines, and the fact that I'm graduating this year. If this ad wasn't going to be finished on time, I'm not going to march on my graduation. What was going on? Relax, Vinny. I'm sure we did, did the takes of the video of this fountain scene a while ago with the actors. Larry took out his DSLR camera and showed the footage to me. And there it was, the fountain scene, where the actors would walk by the fountain doing its beautiful water stream dance. It was a take done in the morning. See? All accounted for. Maybe that's an old photo from before or whatever. Larry continued to play the footage. I sighed in relief. I sat back in my chair and relaxed a bit to cool off. 
I noticed the entire time since Larry came back, no one else was in the library. It was too quiet that I didn't notice that few people that were there with me in the library had left. I slapped both sides of my face with my hands. Maybe I'm just tired. I took a glance back at the mysterious image and remembered we kept a soft copy of everything on an SD card. I took out the micro card that was used for the shot sequences and reviewed the picture folder on my laptop. I couldn't believe my eyes. The dates and timestamps of every photo were there, even the fountain photo that was apparently taken at night. The date read 5-9-2022 and the timestamp 9 p.m. Sweat started to trickle down from my brow. That day is today, but the timestamp was... I checked my watch. 10 minutes away. It's 8.40 p.m. How is this photo taken at 9 p.m.? And today, most of all. What camera did we use to take the shots list? I asked Larry, who made a slightly concerned face at my son in question. The campus camera. We rented another one, remember? My SD was full and I was not able to delete important images in there. Where's the camera? In the journalism newsroom. What's going on? Before Larry got to ask any more questions, I fr frantically took my keys for the newsroom and the SD card from my laptop. I have access to the newsroom since I am also a staff writer for the campus newspaper. I didn't know why, but I felt a sudden urge to take a look at the camera. Thoughts came rushing into my head. The relief I felt was only short-lived, replaced by a sudden urge of anxiety. I was already in the second floor hallway. It was dark, the lights were off, but the moonlight from the windows made a good substitute for it. I could see the newsroom at the end of the hall. I glanced at the windows on my left. The beautiful moonlight illuminated the dark square of the campus. At the center, I looked at the fountain, and there she was, majestic as ever. The water streams were still on. I looked at my watch. 8.43. I was in front of the door to the newsroom. A, s a slight hesitation caught my hand hovering over the top of the doorknob, wavering. I opened the door and was met with complete darkness. I walked in and searched for the light switch. Click. The room was lit slowly with the occasional on and off flickering of the bulb, since it seemed to be dying. Nonetheless, I know the newsroom like the back of my hand. I saw the camera in one of the cabinets and immediately went out. Before I got close to the lights, the light bulb died on me on its own. So I just locked the door and went on my way. Reminder to self. Get that shit fixed. <laughs> Same. With the camera at hand, I honestly didn't know what to expect or what to check first. Nothing was out of the ordinary. The camera doesn't seem to be damaged, but then again, I couldn't see all that well in the dark. So I moved near the windows. I checked the lenses, the dials, the LCD display. Nothing. The hardware seems fine, so I booted it up. Normal. Everything was okay. I reached an impasse. I looked out the window as I let my mind drift to the possible logical explanations of what just transpired. I was looking at the fountain when an idea struck my mind. I inserted the SD card into my, the camera and went downstairs. 
I passed the library and saw Larry hanging out with Jessica and Tommy, who seemed to come back from their dinner. It was a long walk, but I eventually reached the twin doors leading outside to the square. I checked the time, 8.50pm. I was finally face to face with that damn mountain. It felt like an old western film where two cowboys were about to do a shootout. The fountain sprays were still running. With the camera at hand, I raised it in a ready position to take a picture. I adjusted the lenses, the aperture, the ISO, and the shutter speed. Locked and loaded. Snap. I took the photo exactly how the picture was like from the shot list. After I took it, I didn't immediately look at the LCD display. I just marveled at how beautiful the fountain was with the water dances. I realized, I realized that I was never really this close to this thing. I cracked a smile a little, appreciating the beauty. But just like the relief I f had felt earlier, my smile was replaced with dread. The photo I just took looked like the same photo from the shot list. It was the same. The fountain wasn't on and there was a new addition to this photo. There was a crow, a crow on top of the fountain. I looked back at the fountain and I nearly choked in disbelief. The fountain was off, no water was spraying, and the bird I saw in the photo is right there, exactly like the image. I checked the timestamp in the camera, 9pm. As the crow screeched horribly, my first instinct was to run. Chills went up my spine and I hurriedly rushed to the library. I reached the door to the library, nearly leaped at it like there was a fire in the building. Larry, Jessica, and Tommy all saw terror in my face. Vinny, what the hell happened while well, you're sweating like crazy? Larry rushed, rushed towards me, trying to help me up. The others did so as well. I gathered myself up with their help and took a moment to breathe. I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know if I should tell them. Maybe they'll just think I'm crazy, and that's the last thing I want them to say. Nothing, I was just scared of the dark. I cracked a forceful smile. They sighed off at my response, and Tommy patted my back. We're all afraid of something, Vinny. That's nothing to be ashamed of. I nodded and straightened out my clothes. Well, we got to go now. The campus is closing soon, and I don't want to have an argument with the guard. All of us picked up our things, I returned my laptop to my bag, arranged the papers and the camera. I kept it. We reached the campus square and went past the fountain. I took a quick glance at it, the thing is turned off and the crow was gone. We eventually reached the streets and we were on a side the sidewalk. Larry, Tommy and Jessica were in front of me and I was trailing behind. The curiosity got the better of me. I whipped out the camera from my bag and snapped a quick photo of them in front of me. I checked, I checked the LCD display and gasped. All three of them in the photo were squashed like a butt on the floor. Blood uh. everywhere. Oh yeah, sorry. Graphic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. A huge cement block on the top of them. The timestamp read 9... 15 p.m. A minute before the actual time of 9.14 p.m. I shouted at them, Look out! They all turned back at me and I rushed towards them and pushed them ahead. 
A few seconds later, the cement block dropped from the construction building beside us. All of us were in shock. Jesus, Finney, you just saved our lives. How did you know? Tommy said while getting up from the floor. Jessica and Larry all followed suit. That's a good thing you're here with us, Vinny. That paranoia of yours sure comes in handy, Jessica added. Damn right, Larry replied. After that, nothing horrible happened. I put away the camera in my bag. I didn't want it. I didn't want the responsibility of knowing what was about to happen. I was afraid. We all eventually went home safely. Jessica's comment about my paranoia got to me as I lay in bed. Maybe it was a good thing, I said to myself as I dozed off. A few months went by and we all graduated. I forgot about the whole camera thing. Nothing really bad ever happened after the incident at the campus. We all celebrated after the ceremony at my house. Me, Larry, Jessica, Tommy, and the rest of our batchmates. Which I'm guessing means like classmates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The things I missed about college all came back. The drinks, the party, the fun. Larry suggested having a group picture, and everyone agreed, but no one has a good camera. Hey, you still have that camera, right? The one you stole from campus? Let's use that. By the way, you stole that, so you better give it back, huh? Larry was half drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I looked for it without much thought. Maybe the alcohol was getting to me, for me, to forget about the whole campus incident. I finally found it and placed the camera on a tripod. I went back to the living room and everybody was already posing. I sat, I set the timer for three seconds and I went to the, to the group to pose. The camera beeped red, indicating the seconds it will take to snap a picture. Everyone on three say cheese. One, two, three, snap. So why did you do it? asked the doctor. Why did you kill all of them? She pointed at the picture I was very familiar with. It was our last group picture together. A picture where my living room was all bloodied up and some bodies were stacked together and some were laying elsewhere. I was told I had schizophrenia and that I inherited it from my family. But that question of the doctor, I couldn't answer it, even if I know it. I just don't know. I took the photo at 8.55. What? Ew. That wasn't even supernatural. That was just a depressing mental health thing in the end, I guess. The fuck? Yeah, or there's something going on. I don't or know. The, yeah. Like creepy. Ew. Okay. That sounds like it'd be like a short movie. That'd be a good short movie. Yeah, it would. Like a short film. Yeah. Alright, so my first story is going to be called In the Corner of My Eye. And this is by William Rain. Have you ever seen him? The little boy just out of view? For me, he's always been there. Even as a kid myself, he was there. Just in the corner on the edge of my periphery. Perhaps that's the very reason I never questioned it until recently. The fact that I had always been aware of him, to a point anyway. I'm not entirely sure why I never felt the urge to talk to him, especially given the fact he always seemed as though he wanted to say something, or that's the way it felt anyway. It could be that when I was a kid, I was just incredibly shy, and I didn't much care to speak to others if I could help it. 
As the years pass by, I came out of my shell a little bit, but I still feel awkward around new people, and I don't go out of my way to start a conversation with anyone I'm close to either. Of course, regardless of the fact that I feel more at ease when I'm alone than when I'm around people, I've never truly been by myself, as he's always been there, just to the side of where I'm looking. I asked my dad about him once, to see if he'd ever seen him. He made a strange expression when I approached him with it, but he wouldn't give me an answer. Whether or not he's familiar with the boy, or if he just feared I may not be of the most sound and stable mind with my claims of seeing someone that nobody else appeared to, he gave me one simple instruction. Don't ever talk to him. So I didn't. It wasn't that hard to do, as he was still only to the side of my vision, but I could always feel his eyes on me. When I would awake in the middle of the night due to frequent nightmares that plagued my younger years, I could still feel him staring at me. Even with my night tears, I was never a leave-the-light-on sort of kid. I like the darkness. I liked being hidden behind the shadows. I liked not having to see the shaggy blonde hair to the far left of my vision for a time, but I knew he was still there. When I showered, he'd be just out of reach in the bathroom. When I ran around playing, he would follow along, though he never seemed to actually move. He just drifted along besides me, still in that same static, upright pose. When I went swimming at the public pool, he'd be under the water with his unmoistened hair floating to my left, still staring at the white of my eye. No matter where I went or what I did, he would come along for the ride. My dad never brought back up the question I asked him that day, aside from the occasional check-in to ensure I was staying true to my promise that I would not speak a word to the mysterious child. Unfortunately, this would bring the knowledge of my passenger to the forefront once more. I had learned to ignore him for the most part, but should I be reminded or absentmindedly attempt to chase him down with my eyes, he would consume my thoughts for a while. You know how you get those floaters in your eye and you sort of trace your vision in pursuit of them on occasion? That's what it felt like. As soon as you acknowledge those damn things, they're all you can see for a while. Imagine that, but with a shaggy blonde kid, who may have been anywhere between 5 and 10. I couldn't exactly get a full visual of him to narrow down features and the like, but I did try sometimes, especially on those occasions when he was the only thing I could focus on. When my mom died, I was around 18. She'd been through a lot in her life, which had led her to the more than occasional stay in one mental institution or another, but my dad always stood by her side. I never really knew what ailment she suffered from, but on the night after her funeral, my father and I shared our first drink together, something that had become a tradition in the years that followed. We didn't speak much as we both gazed off while sipping slowly on the 12-year-old scotch my dad favored over the cheaper one I would grow more accustomed to later in life. Those first swigs burned my throat, but it's not as if that had been my first drink of alcohol, only the first time I sampled anything other than the cheap beer my friends would be able to get their hands on. The more I drank, the more I enjoyed it. Of course, the more my head grew light, the more I felt up to discussing what happened to my mother. Before my dizzy mind could conjure the best words to approach the subject, my dad began to speak, effectively snapping back to reality. You still see him? The kid? He still gazed out into the world beyond the window of our living room as he spoke. It almost felt as though he didn't want to look at me, though that could have been no more than the effects of the booze, inspiring a bit of paranoia in my thoughts. Yeah. Even right now? Yeah. Naturally, him bringing up the subject caused my eyes to attempt to chase down the image of the boy, but he followed his normal course of floating away from my pursuing irises. You still haven't talked to him, right? Yeah, I mean, no, I haven't. He just nodded. He still would not break his stare from the darkened world beyond the glass, but I tempted me his gaze nonetheless. Why, like, why shouldn't I, you know, talk to him? Just don't, don't ever. He finally faced me as he barked the words, giving me a look I'd never seen on his face before. 
I felt like something between were rage and soul-crushing pain met, to my untrained eyes anyway. He still glared at me for minutes after his words caused my hands to tremble, though it felt like we were locked in that dead state for much longer. I knew he was hurting, and I was too for that matter. My mother had almost been more of a guest star in my life, like a cameo who would come on screen for a few moments. She would stick around for an episode or two, then disappear until a season or three down the line, but I can't say I ever really knew her all that well. She spent so much time behind the walls of one hospital or another, be it a medical facility or a psychological one, was dependent on the day, it seemed. Surely it was one of her numerous physical ailments that put into her life, but I knew as little about those problems as the ones that put such strain on her mind. I don't imagine it will come as much of a shock to anyone who had been reading along what the truth of her mental anguish was. She saw him too, my dad said, finally cutting his eyes back to the window. Didn't exactly come as a shock to me either, but still awakened an array of both rational and completely irrational questions in my head. The first and foremost of which was, did she talk to him? He returned such a brief and subtle nod I could barely make it out. A single lamp was the only thing illuminating the room while we sipped from our glasses, but there was still enough light for me to see the boy. It almost appeared as though we had nudged a little closer into view. It was as though he stood right in front of the chair my father sat in as I watched him stare out into the moonlight's glow upon the trees. I thought it may have been no more than the effect of the strong whiskey that had begun to blur my sight, causing single images to blend into multiples, though the mirage of my dad, just a little behind where he actually sat, was not mimicked by the boy who still stood alone. Just don't, don't ever. I won't. I wouldn't. Is that what... I couldn't finish the question, as I felt it required no answer. I was certain that whatever this boy was had somehow driven my mother to the madness that kept her sealed at the padded room for months at a time, though it terrified me to imagine in what way he had accomplished this. Unfortunately, I would eventually find those answers. To this day, I still wish I had listened to my father on this one. Six years or so after my mother's death, just a couple weeks ago, some bad decisions, along with a messy breakup, left me in something of a self-pitying and melancholy state. Life wasn't especially bad or anything, just run-of-the-mill stuff, really, but it was enough to leave me a bit broody for a few weeks. My job was fairly decent, and I lived in a pretty nice house for a mid-twenties bachelor, but you know how it gets. Things can be overall great, but a few little things can lead to a touch of depression. I had the weekend off and planned to just sit around the house for a couple days, though I had no doubt I'd just be wallowing the whole time. I'd successfully sat in the same chair for a good three hours straight, accomplishing nothing more than some solo Netflix and chill, when I got a text from my old college buddy, Jerry. He told me some of the old crew had impulsively gathered up to throw an impromptu party and invited me to join. I considered whether or not I felt like being around others, but since the only company I'd had all day had been the kid in the corner of my eye, I thought it couldn't hurt to drag my lazy ass out into the world for a while. Jerry texted me the address, and I took a quick shower to get myself cleaned up. I went ahead and arranged an Uber, as, as I had no doubt I'd be in no fit shape to drive home by the time I was ready to leave. As soon as I arrived, I was handed two matching beers, one for each hand, one of which I gulped down in one enthusiastic chug. By the time the second one was emptied into my gullet and a third found its way into my hand, I was almost feeling blissfully light and carefree, even with my passenger propped to the left of everyone I talked to. I had an absolute blast catching up with those I hadn't laid eyes on in months, and some I hadn't seen in years. Unfortunately, with good times, there's often something not so good just waiting around the corner. In this case, that was my ex, Mila, arm in arm with Aaron, the guy she ditched me for. Being beyond lit when they showed up, I did not remotely handle the situation with any sort of dignity, instantly rising from the chair I'd been sitting on for the better part of an hour, knocking back one after the other. 
Jerry attempted to hold me back, but I was in Aaron's face, shaking my friend's hand away from my shoulder within seconds. I pushed my ex's new boyfriend, inspiring him to take a swing at me. Before I knew it, Mila was crying and screaming while Aaron and I were carrying on like idiot school kids. He caught me across the jaw and I slugged him in the gut. He buckled a bit while pushing me against and over the table that spilled bottles and cans to the floor along with me. My arms got sliced up a bit as I pushed up from the broken glass on the carpet and I tackled the big guy. We hit the floor and I kept punching his face, so my ex attempted to pull me off him. I was so blinded by everything but my desire to lash out the poor bastard who had the nerve to steal my girl that I barely noticed when I caught her across the jaw when I reared back to knock another dent into my target's face. After I landed the hit, a couple of the guys pulled me from the guy who was bruised and bleeding on the floor, and I finally realized what I'd done. I felt awful when I saw her crying while holding her mouth with a stream of scarlet leaking between her fingers. I went to lean down and attempt to help her while practically begging for forgiveness when Jerry pushed me back. Just go, man, he said, pointing to the door. But I mean to. But you did. Just go. You've done enough. He turned his back to me, leaning over to help Mila while she sobbed on the floor. I looked around to see every single eye on me, each with their own accusing stare. I felt my face flush with embarrassment and guilt while my stomach began to churn. I did what was asked of me and took off out the door, not so much as looking back. I had no idea where I was and I didn't even care. Not only had I hurt the woman I still loved, but I would very likely broken every one of the bridges between my only friends and I. My head was spinning and my gut was still in knots, but I just kept on staggering onwards, not giving too much of a shit if I ever found my way back home. After a while, my legs gave out and I dropped to the concrete, retching into the ditch to my right. I felt awful, both physically and emotionally. I just sat there for God knows how long as cards sped by one way or the other on the road besides me. Eventually, after having grown repulsed by the scent of alcohol in my clothes, and even more so by way I'd ralphed into the grass, I finally picked myself back up, pulling my phone from my pocket to arrange a ride back to my house. I wasn't exactly any particular address at the time, so I just strolled to the gas station I saw in the distance and waited for my driver. I didn't reply a single word to any of the small talk the brunette behind the wheel attempted to send my way, but I did give her a token thank you when she pulled up in front of my house. I just dropped into my favorite recliner when I got back in, absentmindedly flipping the TV on, hopeful to distract my troubled thoughts. It was while I sat there, both feeling sorry for myself as well as nauseous and loopy from the booze, that I mindlessly spoke the words that would change my life from that day on. Stop looking at me, I yelled to the boy in the corner of my eye after feeling a stare carve into me for far too long. Perhaps it was that lingering shame of feeling every eye in the living room of my friend's house glaring at me that caused me to scream out to the child nobody else could see. Maybe I was still hammered, didn't quite realize what I was doing. Could be that somewhere my chaos field felt thoughts, I actually wanted to be punished for my actions. Regardless of my reasoning, the penalty began almost immediately. I was only vaguely aware of what I'd done at first, just turning my attention back to whatever show or movie I'd been tempted to distract myself with. But when the boy leaned in from the corner of my eye to somewhere much closer to the forefront of my vision, I felt a stabbing pain in the middle of my chest as the realization hit. He was leaned over at the waist as though he were peeking around a corner but he was most definitely looking back at me with wide, colorless, and blank eyes. No. Had they always been like that? I wondered to myself while I fought to look away. After a while, I gave into my spinning head, passing out in that same chair. When I woke again, sometime in the middle of the night, the boy now stood in the dead center of my vision, still glaring at me at that empty stare. I turned to the left, he followed. To the right, he drifted along with me. He looked to be maybe ten feet in front of me, but no matter where I looked, his static pose would not falter. 
Though my pulse was quickening with a growing fear that I would now be forced to endure as now being perched before me from now on, I staggered to my bedroom, with the child guiding the path before me. I dropped in my bed to see him with his back seemingly flat against the ceiling, still staring down at me. Even when I closed my eyes, his image remained, surrounded by the dark and nothingness. Fortunately, I was still both physically and mentally exhausted, so I found my way back to slumber, but he was waiting for me when I awoke. I had rolled onto my side throughout the night, so when I came back to awareness, it looked as though he hovered above the ground sideways. I felt tense all over my body as I pulled free from the blankets, following the boy who faced me in the direction of my own bathroom. My shower wasn't large by any means, but it looked as though he was embedded into the tiles while I washed myself. He stood against the back wall while I dried myself off and floated across the floor in front of me as I walked back to my bedroom to fetch some clothes. Even when I held my phone to place the call to my father, he peered over the top of it. As my finger hovered above the icon of the goofily grinning picture my dad had let me take some years ago, I closed the application. I wasn't quite ready to admit that I had indeed done the only single thing he'd warned me against. I attempted to convince myself I could live like this. I'd gotten used to him being in the corner of my eye, sure like a girl accustomed to his new position. I tried to persuade myself to believe this, though my heart continued to beat at a much faster rate than usual. As the day progressed, my mind was consumed both by the mess I'd made my friendships that previous night, almost as much as the child I could no longer escape. I could still see my television around the kid, but he would not exactly move out of the way for me to get full view. Still, I hope I could handle it. Yes, this was bordering on a full-on disability, as I only had partial vision around the damn kid, but I could deal with it. Sure, I was trembling all over, as though I, and felt as though I had convinced my lungs to continue to do their job, but I could do this. There are far worse ailments that others have to deal with on a daily basis, after all. That's what I told myself, anyways. That day ended the same way, with the little boy pressed against the ceiling, but the morning was a little different this time. As I lay on my side, staring at the vacant eyes, the boy began to move. I sat straight up, unable to look away, and believe me, I tried. His head loosely flipped around as he casually strolled closer towards me. I even tried to back away from him, but that only made it appear as though he was moving in faster. Every muscle in my body tensed as I watched him close the gap between us, with his soundless steps far slower than my racing heart. He stopped around five feet from me, but he did not stand still anymore. He swayed from side to side, with his arms lazily swatting his hips like dangling pendulums. I even felt my head following him as he idly bobbed from left to right transfixed by the disturbing image, while the pulse in my neck felt as though it was fit to burst. Now that he was closer, I could see that his skin was somewhat translucent, revealing veins and rippled muscle tissue beneath the surface. There was a subtle throbbing at his temples, which felt as though it beat in time to the blood pushing through me. I'd never paid much attention to his clothing before, but now that he encompassed a far more significant amount of my field of vision, I saw that he was not dressed like someone from this time period. He wore a white short-sleeved button-up shirt with a sort of tweed-looking vest and similarly patterned shorts. His gray socks came about halfway up to his shins and down to brown, dressy-looking shoes. All of his clothes appeared to be layered in duster suit, but his pale, see-through flesh seemed abnormally clean in contrast. Even the shaggy, short blonde hair looked clean, albeit a bit messy. Though it was now quite a bit more tricky to see too much around the kid, I still tried to go about my day as I had the previous one, but I was growing more and more afraid that I could not handle this after all. He followed in front of me for every step I took, and though he did not completely distract me from my self-loathing, he sure as hell didn't help my chaotic thoughts. 
Part of my mind attempted to convince me I deserved this, but I wouldn't buy into it. Yes, I'd acted like an idiotic and immature teenager at the party, but nobody deserves whatever the hell this was. The next day, he moved closer again, stopping only two feet from my face. I could even smell him now. A rancid stench of decaying flesh followed the child and I wherever I attempted to go. On the fourth day, he stopped directly in front of me, and I could swear I felt my nose making contact with his. I screamed out from a combination of fear and exhaustion, able to control neither my shivering goose flesh nor the pounding in my chest. I continued to yell and curse while swatting my hands through the image I can no longer even hope to distract myself from. Even when I closed my eyes, he was still there, surrounded by only the darkness. By the time my raging fit came to a close, I felt lightheaded and queasy, both from my rapid pulse as well as the noxious stench the hollow child carried with him. As the hopelessness of my circumstances began to consume me, I reached my trembling fingers up to my eyes, honestly considering the notion of clawing them from their sockets. I clenched my fists before they made to the target, but I could not escape from the idea that this may very well be the only option out of this. It was becoming more and more difficult to breathe, forcing me to either calm down or just allow the borderline hyperventilation to cause me to pass out. In all honesty, I leaned towards the ladder, but I knew he would still be waiting for me when I came to. Once I finally managed to regulate my breathing to something still far more erratic than my normal breathing patterns, I focused my attention back on the boy, though that wasn't exactly hard to do as he was practically the only damn thing I could see anymore. He'd appeared maybe a little over three feet tall before, but his face was right in front of my own. Whether he was floating in some way, I couldn't say, as no matter where I looked, all I could see were those lifeless eyes glaring into mine. When I attempted to look down, it was as though his head sprouted from my chest as we still peered nose to nose at one another. Just as I was preparing to finally give in an attempt to call my father, things got even more grim, causing me to lose my fight and keep myself from losing consciousness. As I felt around the nightstand for my phone, the child reached his own hands to his face, mimicking the brutal actions that I'd consider inflicting on myself. He moved so slowly as his fingers dug into the lids and the meat wrapped around the top of his eyes, causing a thick and moist, dark and foul-smelling liquid to ooze from within. Sheesh. I screamed out once more, in a far more horrified manner than before, as the boy tore away grizzled chunks of flesh along with the blank and lifeless eyes, dropping his arms to the side when the work was done. Even as he stepped closer to me over the previous days, his movements were silent. His footsteps did not so much as creak across the floor, but I heard everything he had just performed before me. I read from both the sounds and sight of what I just witnessed, while gasping for air, in between far more frantic and frenzied screams. While my heart threatened to explode from within my chest, my head grew dizzy and loopy from my constant wails refusing to allow remotely enough oxygen to get through. I blacked out before I realized I was even close to losing consciousness. The gaping, grotesque wounds from where the child's eyes used to reside appeared far less fresh when my eyelids sprung back open, and though the symptoms that left me on the floor had not dissipated, they had calmed somewhat. I was finally able to place the call to my father, which was no easy task as I could only see anything other than the boy through my periphery anymore, where he had once dwelled before I spoke to him. I could instantly tell that my confession made my dad both angry and saddened. He came to pick me up and he drove me back to the home I used to share with him and my mother, back in far more simpler times. He led me back into the house and sat me down on his couch, before fetching me a glass of that same whiskey we still share from time to time. Fortunately, I was able to rely on muscle memory to guide me the glass to my lips, though I couldn't tell when it was empty until I couldn't spill any more down my throat. 
After allowing the drink to lighten my head somewhat, my dad shared the story of how the boy had driven his wife to the brink of madness and beyond, something that I likely had looked forward to before much longer. She was a few years older than you when she talked to him. His voice sounded tired as he spoke, though I couldn't tell what expression he wore, as he was hidden from me beyond, behind the hollowed-out eyes of the young boy. She'd seen him her whole life, just like you. Don't know what drove her to break the silence between them, but it happened pretty quickly after that. We'd already been married for some years before then, and I'd heard her talk about him from time to time, how he just stood in the corner since she was a little girl. She even talked to her optometrist about it when she was younger, but they didn't take her seriously, just chalked it up to her being an imaginative kid. I could hear his voice tremble while he spoke. He'd frequently clear his throat as if to regulate his words or avoid tears from escaping down his face. Of course, he may well have been sobbing the whole time for all I could see. The whiskey was helping me maintain a degree of composure, along with being in my dad's company, but I still shook from head to toe. My heart still raced and my stomach contained a lurch. After a few weeks of the boy being all she could see, I had to check her into the hospital. They kept her for a good many months so that I could visit her most days. You weren't even a year old by then, so you likely don't remember the first time. Of course, I'm sure you remember some of those later times she was put away for a bit. Honestly, the majority of my memories of my mom were during visitations to one facility or another. When I was quite young, I didn't give it much of a second thought. I just assumed it was normal, or at least not far off it. She always seemed so happy to see me, but now that I really think about it, she rarely actually looked at me. She would face me when we spoke, but her eyes would only me on occasion. Of course, I now fully understood why that was the case. For a while, they found some drugs that helped her some. She said he was still there, but he wasn't as solid, almost as though he was see-through. Of course, every prescription that would work for her would only help for a little while. She got almost a year out of one of them, but others only got her through a few months at best. Would get you to see the same doctors that helped her. Well, as much as they could anyways. There were those times that she shared the house with my father and I, and I do recall some truly happy days, but she always did seem somewhat distant. They would never last for long, though. She would always have to return to the hospital sooner or later. My dad seemed even more lost every time we'd have to take her back there. I never told you how she died. I felt his hand on my shoulder and I reached mine to meet it. He felt as though he had been shivering too, but it may have simply been no more than my own body shivers and spasms. She told me about how things got progressively worse, but I can't say that I believed her or really understood at first. Sometimes I wonder if things would have worked out differently if it wasn't until that last time she got to come home that I knew I should have listened. It only ended up being for one day, so I didn't even tell you about it, since you were spending the weekend with some friends. She seemed so happy to be home at first. She was herself again, you know? That night, I woke up to the sound of her screaming out. I went running to where it came from. She, she'd taken a pair of scissors to her eyes. Thought she'd escape him if she couldn't see. Thing is, after that, he was all she could see. I was only vaguely aware of his grip tightening on my shoulder, as my trembling was growing more and more intense by the second. The more I spoke of what my mother endured, the more I realized how screwed I really was. I had already been terrified by the idea of what my life could have become before I called my dad, but the more his tale of my mother's suffering progressed, the more I feared my own sanity would not last. I hadn't been permitted to visit her over that last year, but my dad would still go just about every weekend. He always looked so strained and sad when he'd head out, but I couldn't have known the truth. I felt my father's grip release as he sat down, wrapping his arm around me. After what she did to herself, she went back to the hospital. Well, after the emergency room, docs did what they could to save her. After a few weeks, I was able to visit her again. She wasn't even almost who she used to be anymore. 
what came next i don't know if the boy was mad because of what she did or if it was just the next step but he started hurting her felt my jaw hang limp and loose i wish i'd listened to the warning in the first place but i could have never imagined a kid can inflict physical pain if nothing else even this would likely drive me madness i knew now that if i actually torn the sight from my eyes it seems that i would have only made things much worse for me He began to rot away in front of her and said that he, and she said he looked to be getting more and more angry, even though just about all she could see anymore was those meaty and empty sockets, since back in the beginning of the nightmare she could still make out where the skin was peeling away from the face. She couldn't have known what was coming next until she felt the pain. She said it just felt like punches at first, and only from time to time. She'd wake up in the middle of the night after taking a bony fist to the gut, or coughing at food as she was trying to eat after a jab at her ribs, but it got even worse than that. I had to fight against puking all over my dad's couch as I felt even more nauseous from learning about the terrifying future which likely lay ahead of me, as well as knowing what indeed my mother had been through all these years. I could barely believe what I was hearing. Somehow I don't believe he only hurt her because of what she did to herself. I had already been terrified of the idea of having one sense blocked, and another filled with the potent grotesque scent of rotting flesh. I could barely wrap my frantic thoughts around any of this. She said it felt like the bones had been pushed through the skin of his fingers, and then he would claw into her. She had gashes and yelled bruises all over, but the doc said she was doing it to herself. They even tried to strap her down so she wouldn't hurt herself anymore, but they'd still find her bleeding by morning. I'm sure it isn't too hard to figure out by now, but she just couldn't take any longer, I suppose. She'd been locked away for a long time at that point, hidden away behind those padded walls. I would still get to visit her occasionally, but I couldn't let you see her like that. I can't know how she got her hands on enough pills to get the job done, but they said she swallowed a good 30 of them. I could practically hear the tears now they'd finally unleashed, as my father's voice quivered and cracked. I'd been crying this whole time myself, but it made things even worse when he joined. In some ways, I wasn't surprised at what he told me. Not about my mother's suicide, anyway. I think I suggested it since she passed. Those other revelations, however, almost caused me to scream out again. From what he said, it could be years before I was that far gone, but it still hurt to hear how much she had suffered, as well as the realizations could possibly be my own fate, too. We talked and cried a little more, before the drink left me feeling drowsy again. My turning stomach settled me enough to get to my feet, my father led me to my old bedroom. I dropped into my childhood bed, allowing the darkness to wrap around the image of the boy who hovered just beyond the tip of my nose. I could still smell his foul stench, but I'd already begun to grow accustomed to it. Yes, it was awful, but not intolerable. Not to a moderately tipsy and groggy individual, anyway. Within the days that followed, my dad took me to see my mother's old doctor. Well, one of them. She went through quite a few in her day, but this guy had been the most effective in treating whatever the hell this is. Given his experience to my mom, he prescribed me something called clozapine. It's apparently some sort of antipsychotic, but he found it particularly helpful on my mother's symptoms. Took a few doses, but within a week, the smell subsided, and just as my dad told me, the boy became somewhat transparent. Yes, he's still here. I still see those hollowed-out, meaty sockets every second of the day, but I can also see the world behind him now. It's not perfect, and I'm sure it won't last, but I'll try to take it until I can't anymore. I'm still far beyond scared, but things are a bit more tolerable for the time being. I don't know what this is, why my mother and I were cursed with it, nor who the hell this child even is, but I can only hope that there's a way of avoiding my mother's fate. I have no way of knowing if there's any chance of escape, but I have to find out what I can about him and why he appears to be set on punishing my family. 
If there is a way out of this, it has to be hidden behind the identity of the boy. My father said he'll help me investigate, though he had attempted this very investigation during the years my mom spent living as hell. I have to try, though. I may never locate the truth behind all of this, but if I should, I'll share what I can find. If it's happened to us, it's very possible it could happen to others, too. It's probably a long shot, but if any of you reading these words knows who or what he is, or whatever this curse is, please help me. Slowly my time before the world beyond the boy who used to dwell in the corner of my eye is hidden away from me for good. I don't know if I have the strength my mother had. I doubt I'll survive for as long when the medications stop working. Even now, while things are likely as terrible as they may ever be again, I feel my sanity waning. Just please, trust me. If you just see the little boy in the corner of your eye, don't make the same mistake I did. Never, ever speak a word to him. The end. Mm-hmm. It's a no thanks. That was also yeah, definitely no thanks. Very long. So I had a second long one that I'm just not gonna read and I'm just gonna read my short one next. <laughs> okay. Just so you know. This one's titled Something Happened During a Hostage Negotiation I Can't Explain. Written by Kyle Harrison. The Westside Bank has three exits, thirty windows, and nineteen air vents. And when I arrived at the scene, there were 13 people being held captive by a man with a vendetta. How bad are things? I asked the officer in charge. So far, no one had been hurt, but I knew that would change quickly if I didn't start talking to the terrorists. The task force is small. Stuff like this doesn't happen every day to them. I can tell they're scared. I sat down, placed the headpiece on, and turned on the mic to chat with the psychopath. To whom am I speaking? My voice was calm and firm. I wanted to show that I was ready to talk as long as necessary. The line was quiet for a moment, and then a voice repeated my question word for word. To whom am I speaking? It was a man's voice. He sounded older. There was a nervous and emotional edge to the way he spoke. He was unsure about how this was going to play out. Special Agent Dennis Lasseter, I replied back. Another pause. Have you done this for long, Special Agent Dennis Lasseter? He quipped. There was a bit more confidence in his voice this time. Seven years, how about you? I wanted to show this son of a bitch that I was ready to tangle. No, never. There's a first time for everything, isn't there? There doesn't have to be. After all, we're talking right now just fine. So I think we can come to sort some sort of agreement, I told him. This was a basic procedure. Actively listen. Find out what the kidnapper wanted. There was a longer pause. You married, Dennis? That took me by surprise. I hadn't heard from Christian in a while. Things had become strained. Divorced. You? I kept my voice steady. I wanted him to get comfortable with me. Same. Wasn't my choice, really. Job never can make ends meet. Now we're getting somewhere. That sounds difficult. Stressful. I can imagine it would only make sense for you to do what you were doing. I need to build rapport. Get him to trust me. Everything fell into place when Michael died, he explained. From the way his voice cracked... I could tell that 
had to be his son. How old was he? Five. It was a car accident that took him from me. After that, life just had no meaning anymore. I've, I've always wanted a son. He was in pain, and I understood it. It sounds like you've been planning this for quite a while now. Four years. But it was mostly a waiting game, because I remembered every single detail. Just had to make it count. Make it work. Now he was rambling. I tried to steer him back on course. We can make things go your way. Everyone can walk away from this alive. If I play my cards right, yeah, I know how this works. I relaxed a little. He was calming down. I know that you think that this will somehow balance out the pain that you have had to go through in your life, but it won't. It won't bring Michael back. Another very long pause. He was thinking over what to do. What if I told you it could? This time, it was my turn to hesitate. I didn't know how to respond to that. If it could bring back someone I love, do you think it would be worth it? I swallowed. His speech had conviction. He believed what he was saying could be true. Yeah, sure, of course. It would be a miracle. A once-in-a-lifetime shot to change things. Anyone will take that risk, right? Now his voice was shaky again. He needed to convince me. There must be another way, I told him softly. None that I can see. Trust me, I've tried. I've thought long and hard about this moment for years, Dennis. To think of a way out, there isn't. But you have to succeed. So tell me what you need. We can make it happen. He was slipping, pulling away, losing that connection. I needed to reinforce that I was his only shot. It isn't about me. It is about you, Dennis, and what you need. That struck me as an odd thing to say, but I tried to stay in tune with what he was getting at. Okay, sure. I can do whatever you need. Just say the word. It's a bit long. Do you have a pen and paper? I can remember. You're going to run to write this down, Dennis. I shuffled and found one. Alright, I'm ready. Tomorrow morning, you're going to go down to the coffee shop like you always do. You're going to order your favorite brand of mocha and talk about the weather to the cute barista. Her name is Lucy. You have made small talk before. She's going to ask you if you have the time. You have to tell her no. Dennis, you have to get up, walk away, and leave immediately. I felt a nervous sense of unease in the back of my head. How did he know so much about my daily routine? Okay, that's oddly specific request. You mustn't talk to her, Dennis. You must leave immediately and cross the street to buy a lotto ticket. 65421523. Repeat that to me. I did, even if I didn't understand why I was doing so. Dennis, one other thing. I was hanging on his words, trying to figure this man out. Everything about the conversation has changed in less than a few seconds. Tell Kristen you love her. My mouth went dry. I heard the discharge of a gun, and the SWAT team immediately moved in. I stood up, 
My palms sweaty. <laughs> Arm spaghetti. No. <laughs> I was thinking the same Sorry. thing. <laughs> like knees weak, arms spaghetti. There's spaghetti on my shirt already. Mom's spaghetti. Yeah, Mom's You're the spaghetti. just spaghetti yeah. version. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's what I I like said it wrong, and I was like, wait, no, it's mom spaghetti. But every I said arm spaghetti. <laughs> I say arm spaghetti too. I just say spaghetti for every part. I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> True. I raced through the front entrance of the bank. The hostages were running out, shrieking and crying as they embraced family. Media swarmed to try to get a glimpse of the killer. But the bullet had been precise. He had blown his face completely off. Uh. Sorry. I stood there looking over his bloody body, confused and frightened by his words. I looked down at his... At his index finger, saw a familiar scarring on it, and felt a shiver run down my spine. I had a scar there as well. Oh. From my second tour in, in Afghanistan. <laughs> oh. A tattoo right next to it of the day it happened. They were the same. I left the scene immediately, nerves shot and confused. This had to be an elaborate hoax. But still, the next morning, I did exactly as instructed, to the letter. Even that damn lotto number. A few moments later, the cashier congratulated me. I had won the scratch-off. What are the odds? The cashier said excitedly. Astronomical, I realized. A once-in-a-lifetime miracle. As I stood there and gazed at the ticket, something flashed before my eyes. Another life. A life I didn't live. I saw myself talking more to the barista, dating her, telling her I wanted to marry her. The life was good. We had a son. We were happy. Then it was dashed to pieces. I saw the crash that took his life. The glass impaled his young body against the side as the vehicle was crushed. I saw my wife spiral into depression and then take her own life. Oh, it's a um, trigger warning. Suicide okay. warning. Uh, she slid her wrist in the bathroom, waiting for me to find her cold and alone. I saw the impossible abyss about to swallow me whole, take me under until I never stopped strangling every ounce, every last ounce of hope in my body. And then the moment was gone. I was standing back in the cashier's stand and staring at the ticket again. I took out my phone and called the officer in charge. Hey, chief, sorry to bother you, but did you get the ID back on that body? Body? What are you talking about? The heist? What happened to the kidnapper? I am not sure what you're talking about. What heist? My mouth went dry. I felt my phone vibrate. Another call was coming in. Lassiter, is everything okay? I checked the caller ID. It was Kristen. Tears welled up in my eyes. Yes, yes, everything is fine. The end. Ew, wait. <laughs> you fucking like time Sounds... travel back into a dream? <laughs> I don't... I don't know exactly, but yeah, it definitely seems like tra time traveling to me. That's cool. I mean, fucking crazy. I was like, that's cool. Trippy. Oh yeah, because as soon as he 
I guess as soon as he would not stay talking to the barista, it, like, that version of him would probably cease to exist, huh? It's like a paradox. Because yeah. he only know. didn't That's... do it because he saw him, but he didn't actually see him. I don't know. Paradoxes confuse me. Why would you do this? I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, I got one more story. This one's a shorter one. It is called Mr. Smile by Alice Thompson. It was in early November of 1997 that a series of very strange sessions led to a child psychologist in Maine to contact the authorities. It began when patients of his began to tell him about one of their friends. Their friend being imaginary as far as both the psychiatrist and the boy's parents were concerned. He called his friend Mr. Smile and would talk about him at great length during some sessions. The boy called him Mr. Smile because he would always be smiling and because when he was around, the boy said everything felt happy. He said there was a feeling of everything being okay. The boy in question was being treated for serious issues due with anger and depression, but when Mr. Smile was around, he said that all the anger and the sadness seemed to just disappear. He said that Mr. Smile wouldn't speak, but rather just stand there at the foot of his bed. He smelled like candy floss, and just by being there, made the boy feel safe and calm. The psychiatrist assumed this imaginary friend was some sort of coping mechanism the boy developed to deal with the problems at home that led to his violent temper and thought nothing of it. Until another patient, a girl of about nine years old, also began talking about her imaginary friend, Mr. Smile. And then a boy of seven. And then a boy of twelve. And then a girl of 11. All in all, close to 15 separate patients all began to talk about Mr. Smile. The first few he put down to coincidence. After all, many children had imaginary friends, and the name and description of Mr. Smile were just generic enough that didn't concern him too much at first. But as more and more of his patients told him about Mr. Smile, he began to grow concerned. He asked for more details. Every single one of them described him the same way, using the same exact words. Now, there was no way that all these children could be in contact with each other. Five of them, for instance, were currently being homeschooled, and according to their parents when he spoke to them, never even really left the house, except when it was to accompany them on shopping trips and the like. There was no way that every single one of these kids could have rehearsed or prepared their statements together, which led him to a deeply disturbing conclusion. He spoke privately with each of the children's parents one at a time. He avoided disclosing too much information, but told them that something troubling had cropped up in multiple sessions of various patients and that he believed that there was a chance their child was at risk. He asked for the permission to discuss matters with the authorities, and the parents gave their consent, provided they were kept in the loop as to what was going on. And so, over the course of the next week, the police came and talked to the children about their friend. They asked for details about his appearance, which they couldn't seem to describe apart from the smile and that he was not like them how he got into their house, anything he said or did while he was there. Because by this point, the psychiatrist, the parents, and the police were all convinced that Mr. Smell was quite real and quite dangerous. The authorities had checked to make sure that there were no known predators living in the area, which they had confirmed was not the case. But it was quite clear that whoever this Mr. Smile was, he was a real person who had been sneaking into the homes of these children at night. None of the children claimed to know how he got in. They said they would just wake up and he'd be there at the foot of their bed. Sometimes they said he'd be singing something, but not in English. It sounded like a lullaby, they said. It made them feel safe. Finally, the children were asked to draw Mr. Smile, as they couldn't put into words how he looked. 
Each and every one of the children picked up a red crayon and proceeded to color in the entire page until it was just a rectangle of red. When asked about this, they insisted that they had drawn Mr. Smile. When asked where his head, arms, and legs were, they would insist that they had drawn those. They claimed that they had drawn a perfect picture of the man at the foot of their bed, and when they were told they had simply colored in the page and not drawn anything at all, they became deeply angry. Then they would be accused of lying and insisting that what they had drawn was a picture of the man they'd seen. Acting more on a hunch than anything else, the psychiatrist decided to show one of the colored rectangles to the various children and ask them what it was. Each and every one of them, with no knowledge of what the picture was supposed to be or who had drawn it, and with no knowledge of that had been spoken to about the subject even existed, replied that it was a picture of Mr. Smile. Cameras and baby monitors were placed in the children's rooms so that they could be monitored. Many of the parents simply stopped sleeping altogether, staying up all night staring at the screens that displayed where the children slept. At no point did anyone enter or exit the bedrooms. No sounds except for them snoring or occasionally talking in their sleep were heard over the baby monitors. There was no sign of Mr. Smile. After almost two weeks of this, many of them began to doubt that Mr. Smile had ever existed. Other psychiatrists since have put the whole thing down to some strange shared delusion that while it couldn't be explained yet, it did not have any basis in reality. Some suggest that maybe this whole Mr. Smile thing had its basis in a TV show or film that the children all watched, leading them all to dream of something similar. Then one of the boys went missing. The camera in his room had gone dead at around 2 in the morning. His mother had run to check in on him, only to find his room empty. It had literally taken her less than a minute to run to his room. There was no possible way for him to leave or be taken and be out of her sight in the time it took her to leave her bedroom and run towards his. But he was gone. She said there was a smell like cotton candy in the room. The search of the boy turned up nothing. No one had seen anything strange or unusual around the home before or during the disappearance, and no trace of him was ever found. It was less than a week later that one of the girls who had spoken to Mr. Smile vanished as well. Then another. Then another of the boys. One by one, each of them began to disappear, until only four remained. The four main children began to talk about how Mr. Smile and his friends were going to take them away soon. When asked about these friends, they talked about Mr. Smile lived with the other smiling men in the happy place, and that he would take them there soon. He said that there were lots of people there already, and that in the happy place, everything was beautiful. They said that they knew about it because Mr. Smile talked to them in their heads, because he couldn't talk like other people did, and that he would show them pictures in their heads of the places they were going. Things began to get increasingly disturbing. After a few weeks, the children began complaining of headaches and nausea. Their schools reported that they began to suffer hallucinations, and two of them started complaining that they didn't like the place that Mr. Smile was showing them anymore. One began screaming for half an hour, acting as if they're having a fit and screaming for the colors to stop. But the colors were horrible and that they needed them to go away. One of the children claimed that Mr. Smile was talking to them in their heads all the time now and was telling them things. Terrible things. But that they couldn't talk about it. That they mustn't talk, then their parents would know about the terrible things too. Psychiatrists asked them to write down what Mr. Smile was saying, promising he would show it to no one, managing to gain the trust of one of the boys enough that he agreed. The contents of the book are known only to him and the authorities, but whenever anyone involved has been asked about it, they just get real quiet and quickly find an excuse to change the subject. The children stopped sleeping. Footage from the security camera showed them sitting bolt upright, their eyes unblinking, just staring at the wall without moving or making a sound. Sedatives did nothing. One of the girls began cutting strange circular marks to her skin, while two of the boys ceased communicating English altogether. 
The language they spoke was never identified, and despite numerous people being asked to listen to them, they could not translate what they were saying. By the start of 1999, all four of the children had vanished into thin air. There was no trace of who took them. Searches have turned up nothing to this day, with no indication of where they are or if they're even alive or dead. No suspects have ever been found either. All four of them appear to have simply vanished into thin air, much like the others, all of whom also remain missing, their disappearances unexplained. The end. That's it. It sounds like there's going to be more, but that's it. It needs a sequel. It does. It does. Where you're like, I know. (laughs) It's like whenever I mentioned the year 1999, it linked to a different creepypasta called 1999, but I don't think that's even written by the same place or the same person. So I think that was just Mm. weird. The other one's insanely long and it's about a TV show. And it's just, I read it before, but it's like, it's too long to read on here, to be honest. (laughs) But yeah, that's it. Sheesh. Sheesh. Are you are you damn done? horror noodles. Horror noodles. <laughs> yeah. The nudes. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, if anyone has any creep pasta you want to send us or just to say hello, you can email us at thespookyshit.pod at gmail.com. Our Twitter and Instagram are spookyshit underscore pod. And I'm going to be posting a little meme on that that I really liked about the horror noodles. And uh, our website is spookyshit-pod.com. And yeah, thank you all for listening. As always, we really, really appreciate it. I wasn't sure if you wanted to talk. You're just. Yeah, I was just going to say thank you, too. (laughs) (laughs) He was just like up in front of the mic looking like he's about to talk. And I'm like, okay. But anyway. I was ready. I was ready to say goodbye. (laughs) We'll we'll talk to you all next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Your time to shine. (laughs) Bye.